I'm Alicia Michalisek Kurtz, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where doctors and other healthcare professionals share stories about their real human experiences working in medicine. On today's episode, we will hear the final of four stories we recorded at a live Real Talk session with the emergency medicine residency doctors at LSU New Orleans. Today's story comes from Dr. Brianna Waples, a third-year resident at LSU, originally from West Orange, New Jersey. In our last episode from LSU, we heard Dr. Nick Salerno's story about how residency is truly an all-consuming experience, and we do it for years while the world spins madly on around us in the meantime, both stealing moments we will never be able to take back from it, but also leaving us deep in the trenches of the hospital or the clinic, kind of isolated from the normal world while we hyper-focus everything on our medical training. During that time, all of us experience some pretty intense ups and downs. We make embarrassing mistakes, have countless firsts, are constantly trying to learn and read and study enough, but also just kind of want to find space to sit and binge Netflix and eat hot Cheetos for like 20 hours straight to give our overworked brains a rest after 10 days working in a row on the inpatient floor. Now, actually matching into the residency you will go to is a competitive and weird and kind of insane process. So it's often that we are physically moving away from any existing support systems that we have to go to residency. And then we jump in feet first into this pretty intense experience alone without our support system that we've always relied on in the past. So what happens when it gets to be too much? When you need support, but you're hundreds of miles from home? This is Brianna's story. All right, so I'm gonna tell you guys a story about the most important people in my life and probably one of the hardest years of my life. My intern year was a really rough year for me. I had just moved down from New Jersey, um, and it was my first time really being away from home. But despite me relocating, I met a really good group of residents and faculty here, and I never quite felt isolated down here. I was excited about the move. Like I said, I was I was leaving my siblings, my parents, my close friends, and I'd you know always live within a few hours away from being able to access them, and they were my main support group going through med school and this whole process of medicine. Uh, so my intern year, it was the typical struggle that most people have. It was the long hours. We were doing 12-hour shifts back then, which has since changed. Uh, you know, it was a steep learning curve of acquiring the new skills. It was the imposter syndrome that comes with everything in, in intern year. So I was just getting comfortable. And around October, I had gotten a phone call out of the booth from my mom while I was on a shift. And she told me that my dad was in the hospital and was diagnosed with a brain abscess. And he had failed all the first-line therapies of antibiotics. He was pretty sick. Um, my dad is probably one of the healthiest people that I know. He's a vegan. Like, I thought he was going to outlive me. <laughs> he exercises every day. Like, this is not the person that I thought was going to take such a big hit to their health. And especially with him, no risk factors. This is out of the blue. Uh, suddenly, um, instead of being the doctor, I was a family member. Um, 
For me, it was like being in a nightmare and I couldn't wake up from my nightmare. I can't even find the full words to express like what I was going through. It was like my body felt numb. I tried to intellectualize it. I tried to do all the medical things that I knew to do. I looked up everything that I could find, all the information I could find. I talked to people here at the hospital. I talked to ID people. I talked to the neurosurgery people. I talked to his neurosurgeon. I interpreted from my family. I did everything that I felt like I could do for him from here. But it had gotten to be too much and I had a full schedule. So I found myself in the program director's office at the time. Um, and between him and Miss Kathy, next thing I knew, I was on a plane home. Things happened very quickly. So I remember getting home and things were a mess. I had spent the better part of the next two months flying back and forth to New Jersey. I'd spent all my money. I'd spent all my extra time flying home. And I kind of depleted myself. Uh, two of my co-residents, Ashley and Justin, I'll tell you, they fed me, they offered their homes to me, they drove me back and forth to the airport. It was nothing but just pure kindness and love. Eventually, uh, my dad, he was able to come back to about 90% of what his normal is and recovered well. So now we're moving forward, we're moving into the holiday season and uh, you know, things are starting to normalize out for me. Uh, I'm getting into my routine. I'm going back and forth to home. I'm going to my shifts. I'll come back to New Orleans, struggle through my shifts. I'd fake a smile, have superficial conversations with people. They'd ask me how I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Things are good. I, I'm just keeping it moving. I'm getting through intern year. Meanwhile, I'm like screaming from the inside. Like my life is falling apart. It was rough. One person really noticed this in me and sat me down and um, listened, just took the time to listen. Um, and this was Andrew. Andrew was the second year at the time. And all he did was he sat and stopped whatever he was doing and just talked to me. And I really appreciated that because I needed that at the time. Ugh. So we're getting to around Christmas and I got hit hard again. And this time it was a little bit more expected. So my grandfather, had, he was chronically ill and we kind of expected it. So we transitioned him to hospice and it was a peaceful, it was a very peaceful death. But again, like I felt that my work-life balance was unsettled for me because my sister had saw that I was working. She tracks my phone uh, and she didn't want to disturb me. <laughs> Um, so the way that I actually found out is that someone had texted me and said, oh, I'm wishing you condolences for your loss. And I was like, wait a minute, hold up. There's too many things going on. Who are you talking about? What's going on? So I call home and they say, you know, we just didn't want to disturb you. We know that you work hard. And I felt like I was always working hard and I wanted to be disturbed so that I can find out what was going on. So, you know, it was still difficult dealing with, you know, the loss of a loved one, even though this one was peaceful from afar. And during this entire time, I would still find texts from co-residents, staff, asking me how I was doing. It was a constant and unceasing source of support for me, which I really needed. And, it, you know, I just met everyone a few months ago and everybody was just as busy and as stressed as I was, but still took the time to reach out to me. Again, let's fast forward. So we're going from December to February. 
and it's everybody's favorite day. It's the in-service exam. <laughs> and, you know, I started feeling back to normal at this time. And I finished my exam. I walked out. It, it was the best that I had felt in months. It was like a big weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. You know, the plan was that year we were going out to Dave and Buster's. Everybody was going to meet up after the exam. And I was just like ready to release and have some fun. I was finally like in town to hang out with everybody. So I'm in the Uber on the way to Dave and Buster's. And again, I get another phone call. And unfortunately, those feelings of release were just short-lived. It was my mom again. And she told me this time that my grandmother had died. And this was completely unexpected and something that like really hit me hard because we were pretty close. I kept it together in the Uber because I didn't want to freak out the Uber driver. <laughs> I didn't want her to think I was a weirdo. But I think just everything together was just too much for me. Like my dad was really sick. Um, I found finding out about my grandfather, spending all my money. I was like emotionally tapped by this time. And I made it maybe about three steps outside of my Uber. And all I remember was things going black. I like completely like found myself on the ground outside of Dave and Buster's. And it was weird because the only thing that I could think about was, oh my God, I have all my stuff out here. Someone's going to take my bag. <laughs> and if they don't take my bag, someone's going to call EMS and then I'm going to have to explain to them why I don't want to go back to work. <laughs> oh man, it was just a bad situation. So as soon as I could feel my hands again, I asked Siri to call Ashley, who was walking down the street towards me anyway. And um, Ashley found me there. I was still laying on the ground um, outside of Dave and Buster's. And she just sat down next to me. And she didn't make me feel awkward about anything at all, which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> and she just talked to me for a while. And she just like coordinated a response so that it wasn't a scene. So eventually I was like back up on my feet and I was like, oh, that was really dumb. Like, I can't believe I had passed out like that. But I think I was just overwhelmed with everything that was going on. So I was able to get inside Dave and Buster's um, and, you know, it was like normal. Everybody was hanging out. It was a good escape from everything that was happening at the time. And uh, I remember that night Martin had spent the rest of the night until Dave and Buster's closed there with me to distract me from everything that was going on. I, I didn't want to go home because I didn't want to be alone with everything that was happening. And that was like a welcome release from everything. So I'm talking a lot about uh, the bad stuff that's going on in my intern year. And even though I'm mentioning the miserable parts, there were a lot of good parts that also happened this year as well. So I don't want you to think everything is bad. I don't, re I don't regret moving to New Orleans and having this experience. If anything, it's only made me a stronger person and has bettered me professionally. Um, it's also made me way more resilient. And these experiences have allowed me to become a better doctor. And as well, it allowed me to connect with my patients and their families a lot more when it comes down to critical illness and death and issues surrounding dying. Uh, I think that as EM doctors, we tend to think we need to be there for people on their worst days, but what about when it's our worst day? The other thing that I've learned too is if we as residents don't take care of each other, who's gonna take care of us? Especially if we are isolated away from our support systems. 
My story as a resident is not unique to me. Everybody is going through something here, whether it be a death of a loved one, social isolation from being away from your social support network, substance abuse, mental illness, finding out that you yourself are diagnosed with a physical illness in residency. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so I feel very fortunate and blessed that this is the worst thing that has happened to me in my residency. Over the course of a terrible year, I thought that I was losing the people who I thought who were the most important in my life, but it turns out I was gaining really important people to my life. They are the people that can only truly understand the stress and things that I was going to. And it really showed me what being a team is all about. Thank you. Residency is grueling and tough and frustrating and exhausting. And while it's really hard to go through it away from your existing family and friends, the process of going through residency, it's also kind of magical. It's like this unspoken induction into a secret club, a club of other doctors who has this shared reality and shared history that's absolutely not understood by anyone who hasn't gone through it personally. And it makes the people that you trained with really special. I'm not saying that every residency class is all best friends and that it's all sunshine and rainbows and sprinkles. Oh, heck no. <laughs> but I am saying reaching the end of residency, you can't help but feel this connection to your cohort, to the people who grew up with you in the House of Medicine, who were there when you put in that first central line, or they talked you through tough cases, or taught you something you hadn't read yet, or vented with you over a beer about that attending that was such a jerk, or who lifted you up as the world around you kept going when you weren't ready, as people you loved who were far away from you got sick or died, or when you had a panic attack on the steps of Dave & Buster's and needed somebody to make sure that you don't get mugged. As Brianna so perfectly describes, Going through residency, it's like you don't even realize that you're forming this special connection to the people in the place around you. And while we all spend the entirety of this experience with increasing excitement for the end of it, when it's finally time to go, it feels like leaving for college all over again. Stoked to grow and move on, but leaving everything you feel you know and everyone that you feel understands you, leaving them all behind. Our co-residents are really special. So for those of you who are graduating residency this month, or those of you moving up into your next post-grad year, take a beat to realize this. There is a lot that's not perfect about residency, I know. But the experience is part of what defines all of us as doctors. It's what makes it so that we need spaces like Real Talk to process everything else we go through for the rest of our career. Because our experience is so universal, yet so unique to us. So we must lean on each other to actually be understood. It's that new second family, the one that we started in residency with all its imperfections and let's be honest, fights and differences in politics too. But it's that family that has become part of who we are. And we should celebrate that. Think of a time during your training when you felt really far away from your normal support system. Who was there to support you? And how did they do it? What are the things about your training that are most special to you? 
who or what helped make it an experience you will not only never forget, but that you know nobody else outside your residency would ever really understand. As somebody who, honest to goodness, could not have lucked out more with my randomly matched co-resident class, I'm going to selfishly take a beat to say to my own classmates, guys, and yes, all nine of them are male, guys, thank you for being my family for those four years in Fresno, for sticking up for me and teaching me and lifting me up and believing in me and making me laugh until I literally cried. Of all the things I'm thankful for in my life, being matched into our class will always be so high on my list. Thank you to Brianna Waples for sharing her story with us. To the residents at LSU and everywhere else who are doing their best to support your new medicine family as you endure the trials of your training together. To the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast. To Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer. And to all of you for listening. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or figure out how to bring Real Talk to your residency program? Head to www.vituity.com forward slash Real Talk for more information. Or email us at realtalk at v-i-t-u-i-t-y dot com.